No. Dear brothers and sisters, that we have rejoiced at the nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. So by leave of God's mercy, we announce to you also the joy of his resurrection, who is our Savior. On the 22nd day of February will fall Ash Wednesday, and the beginning of the fast of the most sacred Lenten season. On the ninth day of April, we will celebrate with joy Easter Day, the Paschal Feast of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the 21st day of May will be the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. On the 28th day of May, the Feast of Pentecost. On the 11th day of June, the Feast of the Most Holy Body and Blood of Christ. On the third day of December, the first Sunday of Advent of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom is honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There's a lot of great surprises this morning, some exciting, some annoying. The first two are very exciting and good. I'm grateful to welcome my friend and yours, my brother priest, Father Mark Lawler, who is the pastor of St. Therese in Mooresville. And as he reminds me every time I see him, I am his hometown pastor, which means that this is his hometown parish. And I'm a little bit jealous of Father Mark. He just returned from the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology Retreat for Priests. It's the same one I go to during the summer, and it's gotten to be so big and popular, they have three of them now. And Father just returned, and he, are, he ended up coming back a day early and already had his coverage all set up, a couple priests to cover for him over at St. Therese. And he texted me yesterday and said, would it be okay if I came to Sacred Heart and can celebrate? I'm like, are you kidding me? Of course it'd be okay. It'd be great. And as he, we were talking before Mass, he said he thinks it's only the second or third time in his priesthood he's had an open Sunday. And I know the feeling. It's just, it's amazing. So I'm so grateful on this uh, Solemnity of the Epiphany that we can welcome our hometown hero, Father Mark Lawler, back to his home parish. So please join me in welcoming Father Mark. Now, the other surprises for you, the first one, good. What the deacon just read is called the announcement of the movable feasts. Now, he asked me yesterday, is this something new? And to be fair, I can understand why he asked that, because I don't think we've ever done it before. But actually, it's not new. It's actually incredibly old. It's something that's been around for a long time, basically back before you know, everybody had a calendar. And these are the different feasts that change dates, you know, from year to year. Obviously, Christmas is always December the 25th, but Easter falls at different times. And once you have Easter pegged, everything else falls into place. And every year on the Epiphany, there's a tradition of reading this. And for the last, oh, I don't know, 13 years, I've always thought in the week leading up to, to the Epiphany, like, you know, it'd be nice to do that. But I never think to do the research ahead of time and get it all plugged in and to talk about what it is and then we just don't end up doing it. Well, the diocese sent all of us priests an email two or three weeks ago 
with everything all plugged in and basically said, and you do this right after the gospel. So it wasn't you can, it was do it. So it's kind of nice when you don't have a choice, you know? And the deacon did a lovely job. I didn't let everybody know ahead of time. So I think typically we'll stand for that in the future. And so a year from now, when we hit Epiphany, we'll be like, oh yeah, I think we stay standing. I may try to remind you earlier. But it's a beautiful thing. And it's so nice too that it's like once Easter is set, it sets the context for the whole rest of the year. It affects everything in our day-to-day life. And one other final surprise that affects everything in our day-to-day life, our homes, you know, there's a tradition that on the Epiphany, there's the Epiphany blessing for your homes. And then you write that blessing formulary on the door sill, you know, at your house in, in chalk that we bless. Well, we ordered the chalk, and Amazon assured us it would be here by 4.15 on Friday. And then when it wasn't here yesterday, and I was looking frantically everywhere, I texted your friend and mine, our director of operations, Michael Becker. It's like, hey, where's the chalk? And he looked it up, and Amazon said, we're sorry for the delay. It'll be there on Monday. Fantastic. Thank you, Amazon. Now, I know what you're thinking. Father, why didn't you order it earlier than Tuesday of the week before Epiphany? Okay, let's not point that out, you know? Um, it's all Amazon's fault right now. I mean, it, it's one of those things where, ah, so the blessing is on the bulletin board. If you want to take a picture with your phone and do it, if you still have chalk from last year, the blessing doesn't expire. Um, but it'll be here tomorrow, and we have several masses throughout the week. In fact, one I'll tell you about in the announcements on Thursday with the closing of the anniversary year. So we'll get you some chalk later. It'll be the anniversary, or the Epiphany Week blessing this year. So we'll make it happen. But, you know, it's a good example of the fact that, you know, we're not in control of everything, right? And I think sometimes it's like we want to be and we sort of have this idea in our mind that, okay, I'm going to do this and get things in control and I'm going to just take care of everything. And our villain in the gospel today is very much a manifestation of that. And I'm kind of happy that we get a villain in the gospel and get so much time with him because it's not a bad thing to reflect on someone like Herod to look at him and I would just say as we kind of reflect for the next few minutes to not be too quick to say oh I'm not like Herod at all because there are things about him that I think any of us can imitate and St. Matthew gives us today the example of two different kings right King Herod the little regional king of Judah and of course the king of kings God incarnate the second person in the Most Holy Trinity, Jesus Christ himself. And for an example here, it's like we have a bad one and a good one in how to go forward. And what do I mean by that? Okay, when you look at King Herod, there's some amazing extra-biblical evidence, research about him, things that were said about him at his time that give us an insight into the fact that we're only scratching the surface in the Gospels. Like, He looks pretty bad, right? Matthew doesn't make him look good, especially if you keep reading after the gospel today. But he was actually even worse than he seems to be in the gospel. Apparently, Caesar himself, the emperor of the Roman Empire, said about this little regional king, Herod. He said, my goodness, it would be better to be Herod's pig than to be his son. It's an interesting phrase, right? Better to be his pig than his son. Now, why would he say that? Well, Herod had kind of a tenuous claim on the kingship of Judah. Like, he wasn't the obvious guy to be there. He had had to work through a lot of political machinations to make it happen. 
going to Rome to convince Caesar, you know, paying people off, stabbing people in the back, kind of like working his way in to grab control of this little kingdom. And even his Jewish roots were kind of under question. So to make sure that he looks good as a Jew, he lived the kosher law as well. So this like external manifestation of being a faithful Jew, yeah, he never ate the barbecue and bacon that we all enjoy so much. He stayed away from the pigs and therefore better to be his pig than his son. Well, what does that mean? Better to be than, than his son? This guy was paranoid. He didn't want to lose his little control of his grasp on his kingdom. And if he suspected you of coming in there and trying to steal some of his power, your life expectancy plummeted very, very quickly. And he even killed some of his own sons. To think about that, to be that paranoid about losing your control on this little kingdom that you would resort to something like that. And of course, as we know, like I said, if you keep reading the gospel, he didn't just limit it to his own sons. After the magi go home by a different way, he goes into a rage and orders the, the murder of all of the boys, two and under, in the Bethlehem region. This guy is nuts, right? And when you are trying to hold on to control at all costs, let's be honest, it doesn't actually work out anyway, right? Not to spoil the story for you, but just so you know, Herod, he eventually died. You know, it's not that big of a surprise, right? Eventually, he did lose the kingdom. Yeah, he, I think he died as the king of Judah, but so what? When you think about this, to this day, we don't remember him as the guy that was like, oh my goodness, I can repent and go down the road. And this is the thing, Bethlehem was about as far from him as Rockwell is to us right now. Some of you probably drove that distance this morning. That's all the further he had to go, to go and be with the Magi, to kneel at the, the manger at the foot of Mary, who's holding the Prince of Peace, to find peace and no longer be a paranoid madman who does horrible things. But that's obviously not what happened. He killed his kids. I mean, he lives to the point where now we can remember him as the guy that it would have been better to be his pig than his son. Not a great way to be remembered in history. And not a great way to live a life. So you think about that kind of a king trying to hold on to his control of everything as compared to the king of kings, Jesus Christ, whose birth we've been celebrating through these last 14 days, right, for the last two weeks in a big way, and you look at the way that he lives his kingship. He's not holding on to his control in jealous, grasping sort of way. He makes himself vulnerable. He is a baby in the manger. Today, in his mother's arms. I mean, just think about the kind of vulnerability. To be God himself and allow yourself to be in a place where you can be hurt, where you can be betrayed. I mean, even just the initial, like, looking at the manger scene. Like, they're letting shepherds come in. They don't know these guys. They're out on the field. Letting these kings from these foreign nations come and be right there. There's a vulnerability there. And Joseph and Mary have to participate in that. I mean, you think about Joseph at the time when Jesus is going to be born. He doesn't know where they're going to stay. He's looking all over the place. There's no room for them in the inn. They have to stay out in the barn. I mean, they lay him in a feeding trough. And yet, Joseph and Mary are able to hold on to him, to keep going step by step. Even if it's not the way they would have thought 
that God incarnate, the king of kings, would live his life. And yet, he's clearly, by his just being there, showing us how to trust in the providence and the goodwill of our Heavenly Father. And continues to lead by example with that throughout the rest of his life. Jesus continues to be vulnerable. You know, when Herod lashes out and comes after all the boys in Bethlehem, you know, Joseph and Mary are on their way to Egypt. Not a super safe trip. It's a dangerous thing. They come back to Nazareth. When he grows up in his 12, three days on his own in the temple. And it's still, it's a vulnerability that's there. When he finally starts his public ministry, when he's 30 years old, you know, coming out from Galilee and uh, Nazareth and Galilee, just his public ministry, he allows himself to be vulnerable, to be misunderstood, to be insulted, to be mistreated, and yet he continues to go through it all. Even the Last Supper, in a few moments, the words that Father Mark and I have the privilege of saying as priests, it'll be on the night before he was to suffer. Or as it says in the third Eucharistic prayer, on the night he was betrayed, he allowed himself to be in these situations, knowing that even though the next day that he would suffer, bearing his cross, dying for us, even in the midst of that vulnerability, he keeps moving on. Trusting in the goodwill of his heavenly Father. Trusting in his providence. Even saying in the agony in the garden, Father, if it be your will that this chalice pass for me, let it be so. Yet, not my will, but your will be done. He shows us how to live a life. Not to pretend to be in control. To be paranoid. To be upset about all the little surprises that come. And try to hold on to control of everything. Because it's a myth. It doesn't work that way. Our life is not that way. We're not in control of everything, and we can't be, right? Now, I'm not saying throw caution to the wind and do whatever you want, right? It's not like Mary and Joseph were like, hey, let's go visit Herod and let him hold the little guy. No, they don't do stupid things, right? But they know that they are not grasping at control of everything. They trustingly move forward each day. Trusting in the loving providence of our Heavenly Father. And Jesus shows us how to do that throughout his public ministry. He draws away so many times, going up on a mountain, going off by himself. To do what? To pray. To be in communion with his Heavenly Father, who keeps unfolding these things, who keeps leading him to the next step. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, we're called to imitate him. Think about that, that we have a God who loves us so much to not just tell us how to do it, but to show us how to live a life of peace. Not to be like that other king. I mean, think about this this result. When King Herod heard this about the new king, right? He was greatly troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When we try to live in control like King Herod, think about the effect it not only has on us, but those around us. I don't know if you had the same thing in your house growing up. On our refrigerator when I was a child, it said, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Anybody experience that, right? Like, think about that in your own life. If you are acting like Herod, trying to be in control of everything, lashing out at people, doing things that you know are not right, but acting in that way, ain't nobody happy. All Jerusalem troubled with you. That's not the way that we're called to live. And the Magi see both of these examples, right? Notice, they start by going to King Herod, going to the normal kingship. And the normal way to live our lives is trying to be in control of everything. But they're led by God, led by the star. They see the true king who shows them how to be vulnerable, who shows them how to love 
even in the midst of risk, in the midst of this crazy world. And notice what they do. They adore. They offer him their gifts, and then they go home by a different way. They don't go back to the controlling Herod. Rather, now they've seen the king who loves us so much to be in the midst of everything with us. My brothers and sisters in Christ, on this epiphany, and I would say every time you come to the church, I mean, remember, we're so much more blessed than the Magi. They got to see him once. They're in Bethlehem, and then they go home, right? They go far away. Jesus is still in his incarnate public ministry. They're at a distance from him. We're in the post-time. We just heard when the ascension is going to be, when he goes back to heaven, when, when Pentecost is, when he pours out the Holy Spirit. And what happens? He gives us the Holy Spirit, and we call down the Holy Spirit on gifts of bread and wine, which become Jesus Christ himself. He continues to be vulnerable in the tabernacle and allows us to come and adore him just like the Magi. And then like them, we're called each day to go home by a different way. Not to go back to being like Herod, striving for control and scattering all sorts of problems and bringing discord. Rather, to be like the Prince of Peace. To know that we're not in control of everything. Sometimes the chalk does not show up on time, right? Sometimes it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. However, God stays present, continues to make himself vulnerable in our midst. And so do we need to do, to keep coming to him and to adore him, to take the peace that only he can bring out into a world that needs it so desperately. And rather than being like Herod and having everyone troubled around us because we're so troubled, to be like Joseph and Mary, who trusted in the presence of their son, right? To not necessarily know everything that's coming. They had to fly to Egypt. They lost him for a while. Mary has to stand at the foot of the cross. And yet, they trusted all the way to the resurrection. We're called to do the same thing. Because in this beautiful season and throughout the whole year, he remains Emmanuel. Will come, continue to adore him, and then go home by a different way. Praise be Jesus Christ.